Welcome to The Great Speech. Today, the speech guys discuss our fourth part in a series about God. Um, we think of ourselves as a three-in-one unit, and we're doing the one perhaps odd man out of our speech series about God, um, a speech by Red Jacket. Uh, he was the chief leader of the Senecas, and in 1805, delivered an address in front of U.S. dignitaries and missionaries on the expansion and ever greater intermingling of native tribes with white European settlers. Um, and he talked about the differences in the European Christian religion and what the Native Americans believed about their great spirits, as they're called. And so, as we look and think about uh, how speech is about God or how we viewed um, God, we, we take another vantage point, a different vantage point, perhaps an unfamiliar one, and look at it from the vantage point of Native Americans right at the turn of the century, the 18th century, 1800. The speech was in 1805, 19th century. Um, so we're going to dive into that today and see what, what the thinking was like on the frontier between two cultures, many nations. When you see the road from every direction, it will give you eyes, give you hope, it'll give you perspective. I've been back and forth, and yeah, I had my crashes. Now I've seen the we are talking about Red Jacket. We wanted to do a speech that uh, was different, and God's a big topic, and there's there's a lot of different perspectives. Uh, Landon, you already introduced the episode, remember? <laughs> Red Jacket, should, should we just jump in and read the speech? I think jump so. Jump into the speech. Brother, listen to what we say. There was a time when our forefathers owned this great island. Their seats extended from the rising to the setting sun. The great spirit had made it for the use of Indians. He had created the buffalo, the deer, the other animals for food. He made the bear and the beaver, and their skin served us for clothing. He had scattered them over the country. He taught us how to take them. He had caused the earth to produce corn for bread. Brother, our seats were once large and yours very small. You have now become a great people, and we have scarcely a place left to spread our blankets. You've got our country, but are not satisfied. You want to force your religion upon us. Brother, you say there is but one way to worship and serve the Great Spirit. If there is but one religion, why do you white people differ so much about it? Why not all agree, as you can all read the book? Brother, we do not understand these things. We are told that your religion was given to your forefathers and has been handed down from father to son. We also have a religion which was given to our forefathers and has been handed down to our children. We worship that way. It teaches us to be thankful for the favors we receive, to love each other, to be united. We never quarrel about religion. Brother, the Great Spirit has made us all, but he has made a great difference between his white and red children. 
He's given us different complexion, different customs. To you, he has given to arts. To us, he has not opened our eyes. We know these things to be true. Since he had, has made so great a difference between us and other things, why may we not conclude that he has given us a different religion according to our own understanding? The great spirit does right. He knows what is best for his children. We are satisfied. Brother, we do not wish to destroy your religion or to take it from you. We only want to enjoy our own. Brother, we are told you have been preaching to the white people in this place. These people are our neighbors. We are acquainted with them. We will wait a little while and see what effect your preaching has upon those white neighbors. If we find it does them good, makes them honest, and less disposed to cheat Indians, we will then consider again what you have said. Brother, we have now heard our answer to your talk. You have now heard our answer to your talk, and this is all we have this to say at present. As we are going to part, we will come and take you by the hand and hope the Great Spirit will protect you on your journey and return you safe to your friends. And that last part concluded. That was uh, essentially the last third of the speech, a couple parts in the middle of Red Jacket to primarily white missionaries on the state of things in upper New York in 1805. Well, to put a little bit of a finer point on context, I think it's a little bit helpful. I mean, you sort of alluded to it, but right, weren't white Christian missionaries, they wanted to come and evangelize, preach, uh, I forget what denomination they were. Um, some Protestant not denomination. They wanted to evangelize, preach to the Seneca Indians, and Red Jacket was, you know, basically saying no, or at the very least, not right now. Correct. Correct. Yes, right. this was this was not a. You know, these weren't political, cultural, land tensions. It was purely kind of a spiritual meeting between missionaries and uh, the Seneca Iroquois people. Yeah, as I sort of indicated in the notes they're reading, I was I was honestly pretty struck by how mm, how um, modern red jacket sounded in the sense that, you know, just in all honesty, you know, a lot of, I would generally say history is more complex than any sound bite would offer. Um, Absolutely. Um, you know, the idea that white people took all the Indians land. Well, yeah, that definitely happened a lot, but it's more complicated than that, I think. And, um, but Red Jacket, with he, where he references things like, you know, this land was all ours, and now you took it from us, and Christianity is all bad, and he says we never quarrel about religion. It's, it sounds silly, but I'll say it because I think it gets the point across. It sounds like a modern-day liberal would have just made up this speech in order to make um, colonization and Christianity look bad. 
Not, I know that this is a real speech, and I know that this is what Red Jacket said, but that's just my honest um, taking away from it, which is good because, yeah, it's good to sort of be shocked by, by real history in a sense. Yeah, I think I had that same shock value because when when I was selecting this speech, I I did want to choose something, you know, going through all the options we could add of different religions and whatnot. Um, I just recall, and I don't know what book it was from, I recall a pretty fascinating story of Catholic missionaries having a powwow, a heart-to-heart with, I don't know, I don't know if it was the Aztecs or... Uh, Native Americans in like the southern U.S., but it was a, I just remember reading it, it was like a very intellectual discussion, like the Native Americans like had thought, obviously, hundreds of years and like had their own traditions and um, the missionaries thought they'd come in and like it was, they'd evangelize them and convince them and like show them who God was and they had a very hard time intellectually convincing one iota like of the native americans like changing their worldview at all um and so i've I've just been fascinated a little bit recently with my goodness like two worlds collided just a couple centuries ago and we're the product of it uh in a sense and this was i so i basically started googling trying to find some spiritual encounter describing uh, two worlds meeting. And this was basically the first thing I found. And the, yeah, the mod, say the simpleness of the language and its um, matter of factness was pretty compelling. And, and yeah, I even did Google like, this speech fake is it like was it doctored is it like uh just to be sure we i've never heard of red jacket before like i don't i don't know anything about this uh but he was one of the main chiefs who negotiated a pretty large treaty with george washington in the 1790s yeah the sort of riff a little bit on your idea there to sort of contemplate the nature of that that first contact us anthropologists call it and i i read the wikipedia page on that really interesting the first contact as you were referring to is when two just two groups of cultures encounter each other and they had zero interaction even secondhand or tertiary interaction um as was not exactly the case here since it was 1800 and red jacket but again it's similar idea but and just thinking about like as you were alluding to how complex that is and i did a lot of research in preparation for this podcast regarding our lady of guadalupe and reading some of the writings by missionaries from that time and thinking about what they went into you know for anyone you know just realistically like us um who you know we're not um we're not handing out gideon's bibles and putting them in hotel rooms maybe we should be doing that but you know we do like to have an a subtle evangelical conversation from time to time and maybe we put ourselves a little bit uncomfortable situations but to think about the circumstances that Christian missionaries were putting themselves in 
with respect to the Native Americans, like, man, that was, you can disagree with what they were doing, um, but gosh, dang, that is an extraordinarily crazy, uh, incredible state that you have to be in one's mind in order to put yourself there. So, yeah. Just to be in that wholly different of a culture to have the to have the wherewithal to confront it in such an um, abstract isn't exactly the right word, but just um, hmm, I don't know, just just non worldly sense. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I think abstract is appropriate because there is a certain degree of abstraction you have to. Um, used to just discuss God, right? So if we're talking about, use the term otherworldly, like if we're talking about something literally beyond um, our world and our universe um, that predates, pre-exists, all this stuff, uh, everything that we know. Um, yeah, I mean, that does take, um, yeah, just a very high degree of nuance to like discuss that in any sort of meaningful way. And so for you to do that with like totally different world experiences, um, yeah, is like a very frightening thing to, to encounter. Um, and then just from the native perspective, like what a frightening thing to experience themselves. You know what I mean? Like as much as, yeah, like there's a heroic element of people who put themselves out there enough to like approach this foreign group to be approached, um, I think is another frightening experience that like, yeah, I don't think we should overlook. Um, and I think it, and Mike, you mentioned um, kind of along those lines, you mentioned like that you, you felt like this was something that like a liberal person would say today, um, which I think I had kind of similar experiences. It did seem like a very like straightforward matter of fact argument. Like these are things that modern folks like will say and comment about religion. Um, but um, I, I don't know. If, I don't know if you were doing this, but it sounded like you might have been dismissing the speech to some degree based on that. Maybe I'm reading too much into that. But if anything, I think it maybe gives credence to like the modern folks. You know that this, like, yeah, actually, the modern arguments against religion and against um, the idea of like evangelization and spreading religion. Um, I think are pretty well founded and actually seem to hit the nail on the head, at least according to Red Jacket's experience. So um, I don't know if you're downplaying the speech based on that, but I think if anything, it goes the other way. Maybe. Yeah, no, I, I was not minimizing the speech in any way. It was, it was indeed um, lending more credibility to the more modern perspective. I, I would not have said sure. it had no legitimacy in any way before that sort of modern liberal perspective on colonialism, if you will. Um, but the speech definitely gives it more. Um, yeah. So I'll leave it at that for now. Ross, what struck you about the speech? to kind of take a slightly different approach to it like you guys were speaking of it in like as a very abstract thing but i think to maybe understand the speech better like is to think of it in a more like concrete way 
Because, yeah, like talking about God and religion can be very abstract. And how we think about it, you know, four men just sitting here 200 some years later is very abstract. But like to the people, like it had very like concrete, tangible things that had to be done. So um, like you said, like it's kind of even like the for the missionaries, it's not just talking about God in a very abstract way. It's going there and doing it and living with them and all those things. And to kind of connect that with. I don't know, like Landon had said, I think, um, you know, this wasn't like the political land grabbing thing so much as it was more about missionaries and evangelization. But I would have to think that just like kind of thinking about it in the context of the time, like it would be very hard to separate the two. So like as a Native American, it's, I mean, the arrival of the Europeans with that brought Christianity was also the arrival of, you know, white people that took all their land. So, um, I think that, um, I don't know, like I would wonder, and maybe he was, I don't want to say he didn't, but you know, just anytime someone does anything to you, I feel like it's hard to not, you know, kind of take it personally. And, you know, and no matter what that person says to you, then have some sort of this underlying negative current about it. So when you're hearing him say, you know, the missionaries can't come, I would just wonder if it had more to do than just, you know, what was said in the speech. And there were some things maybe left unsaid, like just negative experience of encounters with Europeans thus far, if that makes any sense. Um, I feel I feel that you have something good there. Can you restate your sort of like landing point in a sentence or two again? He pretty strictly speaks about religion in his speech and he says you know we we're not ready right now for you to come talk to us and gives you know probably had legitimate reasons maybe but i would just wonder if there was kind of more than just uh more than just religion on his mind if that makes sense so if somebody does something that hurts you it i mean and i'm not talking this personally but just if somebody says you know comes and takes my car and they take my house and then they take something else that belongs to me. And then, like, we make some treaties and agree sort of just to give me some stuff back that was already mine, but not all of it. And then they're like, oh, I'm going to change your mind on this. I'm just not going to be very open to listening to what they have to say. Right. Um, and it's not necessarily on the merit of what they're saying so much as just my experience of the person thus far. What do we know about Red Jacket? Is that a leading question? Do you know? <laughs> um, I only know two things, one of which I think everyone knows why he was called Red Jacket. No, three things, I guess, of relevance. Okay, so first off, uh, a, a underhand toss here. Why was he called Red Jacket? I believe it's because he fought with the British in the Revolutionary War. and they... Who were also known as Red Coats. Sure, sure, yeah, yeah. We all saw the Patriot. Mel Gibson saved America, man. Great film, great, great film. film, classic. <laughs> I think I'm gonna watch that this weekend. Sudden lightning bolt of information or uh, inspiration there. Um, yeah, he fought with the British, um, and <laughs> you know, uh, then so the two other points, <clears throat> really very straightforward. Sadly. He referenced, I don't think it's in a part that Landon read, or maybe it, yeah. 
Um, he criticizes the alcohol which Europeans have brought to Native Americans and how that has... Oh, yeah, it was in here, but Landon didn't read it. Um, they also brought strong liquor among us. It was strong and powerful and has slain thousands. Sadly, Red Jacket himself, presumably after the speech, became an alcoholic. Um, and then the other thing, he was criticized for being a little bit of a, um, a two-timer. Um, between the British, presumably the Americans to some extent, since, I mean, I guess the French were also a relevant international power in his, in the Northeastern United States. So, you know, that's not to, um, not trying to cancel Red Jacket here, but, but they are certainly things to consider to some extent that whatever the, whatever perfect life that um, he he certainly wasn't leading a uh, perfect life by any by any uh, by any sense. I shouldn't say by any. I mean, I mean, who doesn't like a little of uh, the white man fire water? You know, <laughs> who doesn't? Like- right, Grant. Yeah, Ulysses uh, was widely known for that, but I think we still. Yeah, but he saved America. <laughs> <laughs> Mel Gibson and <laughs> Ulysses S. Grant. <laughs> yeah, I think he, he was very involved in... Um, shoot, which war was that? The Revolutionary War, you ninkapoop. Well, no, I, it, it, uh, he, when the Indians fought with them... French-Indian War? Yeah, the French and Indian War. Yeah. Yeah. I think what's of most notable is what is called the Treaty of Canandaiga. Canandaiga. 1794, probably one of the bigger U.S. Indian treaties signed with George Washington. He would have been one of the main three signatories of it that basically was a peace or a land treaty between several... Iroquois-based tribes and the freshly minted U.S. government circa 1794. Um, Six parts to the treaty. Um, You know, one, they would have the right to sell the land. Um, The final part of the treaty was that the U.S. government would promise $4,500 in goods each year to the Basically, Iroquois, Hodden, there's another name, Haudenosaunee Confederacy, 4500 bucks a year. That is still paid annually. Huh. Um, Adjusted for inflation? Not, is nope. it still? Yeah, is, what? Nope, That's not wild. Not inflation. Uh, wasn't, wasn't in the contract. So we give the whole group of them $4,500 a year. We, uh, it, we provide goods at 4500 oh. They don't take cash. It is goods of $4,500. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's like so a used every, car. <laughs> every part of the treaty, at least uh, the simple, we'll, we'll quote our source here, the simple Wikipedia, um, have a 
has a bit most the main term that was not enforced was uh you know having to do with do with the land it doesn't really say like you know given it was almost four million acres like certain people in each tribe like could sell it to a white settler um you know, did they get a good deal in every individual parcel? Like, what happened at the margin? Probably not. It doesn't go into how 4 million acres turned into essentially zero acres. Was it taken? Was it stolen? Was it done on bad deals? Probably all of the above. But um, he led that deal. Again, so we're reading the speech 11 years after that deal was struck, and... He has an ambivalence in parts of the tone, like, hey guys, you stole our land. We don't, we can barely feel like we can lay down a blanket anymore. So that sucks for us. Like, he kind of, he does oddly more focus on the spirituality of it. And it's like, well, you already, you already beat us. Like, we don't really trust you. So why would we like listen to your religion? Maybe prove us wrong. And it still like kind of wraps it up super polite. Like, brother, you've, you've heard our answer now. Like, this is all we've got to say. Even though he's been through all this, he's clearly seen probably 11 years of further like white encroachment and land taking. And I don't know, still kind of seems to take a sort of high road that... Um, Seems a bit admiral. Yeah, I mean, if that situation happened today, I mean, I think it'd be a very hard, like, not, I mean, at any point in time, not just today, but like, um, if some, just trying to put myself in their shoes a little bit, like, if a group of people came and started, you know, taking or claiming, laying claim to things that, not that they were possessed by me, but, um, yeah, I don't know. I just think that. But kind of like you said, like, I think it'd be very hard to have any sort of polite or positive attitude um, or even willingness to dialogue with those people. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, I think <clears throat> I don't necessarily I'm not sure if this would be too big of a tangent or digression, but I've always sort of thought in my mind, um, you know, it doesn't seem like you have this. I don't know, elephant in the room or sort of awkward juxtaposition with, I guess you would say, property conflict among uh, nations in the Eastern Hemisphere versus the Western Hemisphere. Because, you know, obviously how seemingly at the very least, Eurasia lived, you know, it was with respect to fairly well-defined property boundaries, right? Which makes managing an entire economy, you know, fairly tidy. And then you come across to the Western Hemisphere where you had this whole human ecosystem 
where obviously property did matter like that certainly was acknowledged well oh, this is iroquois land this or iroquois land this is sioux land this is this sub tribes land blah 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 but still of course it certainly was not to the same level of precision that it was in the eastern hemisphere or eurasia you know whatever um and that factor in itself certainly had a tremendous impact on how the whole conflict and antagonism between the East and the West took place. Um, have you guys thought about that particular point before? I have a lot, yeah. I think that... Yeah, I think when you look at at least pre-Columbian history that's yeah pre-Columbian history mostly written is is what we know is mostly mostly western but there's a lot of eastern history the Mongols invading China and the Great Wall like the history of humanity even to Old Testament times fighting over the land of Cana like there's always a people group, a tribe, that wants more land, i.e. more resources for their growing and ebbing population, food, water, animals. And, like, that's just the default setting. And, like, just right away, like, all kinds of borders are thrown up. And it's it becomes... It's just not that interesting, like all of Europe fights against each other really up until like 60 years ago. Um, it's just like the most interesting one is when there's an entire ocean between two forms of humanity and in the short period of a century or two, that ocean doesn't exist anymore for the purposes of that we can sail across it. Uh, and there were... There was cultural differences, but probably also several centuries of technological development. Now, you could say the average bow and arrow Native American up against the average gun at that time, you know, might have been more accurate. Who knows? Um, weaponry, technology, or whatever. But there was there was just a difference in in the cultures such that one was able able to basically overrule and wipe it out you know in a very even short amount of time even if it's just the ethos of how western thought was more conquering than like oh no we'll stay in europe that that chunk of land looks pretty cool you got there we'll just sail on by like that just wasn't going to happen because it's never happened before if the border was right there like there's a bunch of trees and fertile soil and we're tired of our own country we're coming right. here if we can shove you over we're going to um yeah uh but you know even the idea of 
you know, even if the idea of sovereign nations with particular leaders had been in place, then I think things might have transpired differently. I mean, from what I remember from history, you know, one issue with these treaties with Native American tribes is that one particular tribe leader signed it, and then this other guy in the tribe said, oh, no, he's not our leader. That actually didn't count for anything. But to actually then rebut myself, of course, you have the tragic story of the Cherokee nations, you know, the five civilized tribes, if you will. Well, not if you will, that's what they were called. <laughs> and, you know, they built up a society that, effectively mirrored uh the, the europeans or european americans and you know schools and had their own constitution etc etc and they were kicked out i mean that's definitely racist i don't think i'm being woke there i mean there was gold there was gold in georgia and carolinas that's of course what was the issue there um wait was there really gold well they at least believed that there was gold i Oh, okay. pretty sure was the situation um and so andrew jackson wanted one of them out um but yeah i mean situ again sort of digressing a little bit but sort of not too because sort of to come back to ross's point it's like yeah i mean you can't just say all white people act the same just as you can't say all black people are this particular way or all native americans this particular way but if you see more than one act a certain way, it's just human nature. You're going to believe that that's the case with this particular group. And as in Red Jacket's case and a lot of Native Americans' cases, they saw <laughs> white people being, um, yeah, they, they saw that fertile land on the other side of the fence. And why in the hell would anyone care about what they had to say about religion when all of these other crappy things are, are going on. And so like Landon, I mean, I definitely agree, Landon. Yeah, there is definitely a legitimate sort of high road tone to Red Jacket here, where after all this stuff has happened, he's still saying like, okay, you know, maybe there is something to this Christianity. There's this group of missionaries close by. Let's just sort of see what happens there. Maybe some good things will happen. Uh, I think there's definitely something there. I think, you know, he, and he acknowledges these other things too, differences in cultures. I, I think we should try to get him in a debate with uh, Bishop Barron. I think that'd be great. That'd be a great uh, word on fire episode. <laughs> I think there are a few things kind of underneath kind of all of this that I think are at least interesting to consider. Um, one is that Obviously, there's a lot of, like, you know, shady things that have gone on between U.S. interactions with Indians. Um, but if we're talking from, if we were to, like, just take, like, a really big bird's eye view and just look at things from, like, a evolutionary biology standpoint, if you want to think of it, or, you know, social Darwinism, whatever... I would say there's definitely a social Darwinism argument to be said that, like, well, like, the native culture, religion included, yielded only certain things, you know, and maybe you, you, there's, like, certain resource limitations that, you know, that limited uh, 
capacity. But I think also at this point in history, like what's the main difference between European and, and native culture? Like maybe farming or agriculture? You know, I, I guess I don't know what the tech, what the degree to which like the technological um, differences have made at this point. I suppose agriculture is probably a big deal. Maybe that's um, that's like the main thing. But I guess there's there's still a certain level of um, kind of cultural influence that a religion has that does manifest itself in real um, political power and know-how. And that isn't to say that it justifies all of it. Like, and I, I would agree that there's a lot of like terrible things that um, came from like the Christian world and were inflicted upon native people. Um, but at the same time, there's a lot of good things um, that came from Christian culture that made Christian countries like powerful and um, just their ordering principles of Christianity that um, were positive influence that are the reason they had the political clout that they had. Um, so there's kind of like the bird's eye view. And, but then I, I guess another thing is just to take a really individualistic or kind of atomized view of like what each group is going through at this time like they only had their own perspective and experience to go off of right like they weren't googling what is you know uh sociological studies on european culture and native culture and like the influences on depression and all these other like modern things we would use as outcome measures for like a flourishing society right um so they have this very atomized view of things right so you have european seeing um people getting scalped Right. Like that happened. Um, and like that deeply influences a whole group of people. If like their leader gets captured and scalped. Right. On the native front, they see this deal that was made with, the, you know, between a chief and, you know, some politician in Europe get undermined and totally backtracked on and, you know, very. Yeah, definitely like cheated. Um, like now that's their perspective. Right. And like good luck trying to change either one, you know? So I don't know. There's a lot of the bird's eye view things and there's a lot of like the very atomized particular experiences that like, yeah, just make this whole conflict and all of the arguments that red jacket kind of brings up. Um, there's a lot of depth to it that it's like, Holy smokes, man, like to unpack all of that. And I probably contradicted myself five different ways just in like outlining it, you know, between like, I don't know. There, there's just a lot there. I I like that <clears throat> um, word of the day juxtaposition uh, between bird's eye view and the, the atomized situation of things. Because the bird's eye view, you know, let's just say hypothetically um, that, yes, because Christianity exists, um, you know, there are 5 billion more people on earth than there would be otherwise because Christianity invented hospitals and schools. Okay. Um, and let's just say that there was no doubt whatsoever that that fact was the case. Like that's just hard and fast. So that's like the bird's eye view sort of assessment of things. That would have, and you told everyone that, and that would have only a marginal effect on most people's faith. 
because people don't interact in the with the world in bird's eye views they interact in that atomized way i.e person to person sort of thing you know that's why i think with a lot of well with us here well i'll speak to my own experience you know it's like man i've known a lot of really crappy catholics in my life um just really disgusting things that i'm aware that they've done um but i've also had really extraordinary interactions with catholics and it's specifically because of their catholic catholicity and that whole sort of complex uh quilt that that encompasses that they were the way that they are because of that. That's an atomized sort of interpretation of reality that affects me. And it like, you know, tomorrow I could learn that my local bishop messed up in this tremendous way. But it doesn't change the effect that Father Luke had on me at U of I or Father Co or Ross, or Matt, or Landon, if he was Catholic, but, but even to his Christianity extent, right? I don't, I don't know. Do you guys get, get sort of where I'm coming from and sort of, and I think that you can sort of see that we've sort of been dancing around it to some extent with, with, with Red Jacket too. It's like, he, I don't, he pro, I doubt that he necessarily ever had the atomized experience of Christianity that's our phrase of this episode, the atomized right. experience of Christianity. Yeah. I mean, like, to look at his experience, though, like, I agree with everything you just said, but, like, I feel like his experience is what dictated why he said what he did and why people bash, uh, you know, like, why he was angry and why modern-day people often get angry about, you know, the colonization of the Americas because, like, looking at those specific people, their atomized view, you know, they got screwed. There's not really another way to put it. Um, so, yeah, I think that's, I mean, that heavily impacted his, had to have impacted his speech, but I, I mean, rightfully so. Because I can't, like you said, like, we would all, we, that's how we all view, like, our atomized experience is how most of us come to most of the conclusions that we do. You know, semi-relevant. <clears throat> Man, where where was I reading this? Um, maybe in a book by John Eldridge. It was talking about how how can we expect as Christians? How can we expect people today to believe in a God as Father when so many children don't have fathers whether it's in the most objective complete sense of the word where father died when they were young their father chose not to be around or something in between or as with most guys their father's just well i mean every human is imperfect their father just did not bat a thousand like man that is that's a heck of an obstacle to get past when you really when you really think about it yeah, in that atomic father experience. 
definitely matters in ways that probably I can't describe for uh, having a spiritual father whom you praise, fear, love, worship. Hmm. To change gears just a little bit, but... Um, I have, so two things. One, I think, is just kind of interesting thought. Um, I heard this on uh, Three Dogs North podcast, so shout out to our friends at Three Dogs North, and they were referencing something else. So we're several layers removed here, so hopefully it's not too incorrect. Can't but wait. Can't wait it, for that crossover episode. <laughs> someone did some sort of study um, on, I think they used the word tribalism, but pretty much describing how we all adhere to tribalism. And right. And the way that the study was laid out was people were organized in groups that were, and I'm trying to pull this from memory, so if some of the details are wrong, the overall point's still right. But it would literally be like if it was like, hey, Ross and Landon, you are group A, and Matt and Mike, you are group B. It was pretty, it was random, and it was kind of arbitrary. It wasn't like, oh, you guys grew up here. It was like kind of arbitrary things. And then you told certain group members that like at random again like oh something bad just happened to somebody in group b or something bad just happened to someone in group a and if i was in group b even though i had no real reason to care that i was a b i responded more negatively when something happened to someone in group b than in someone in group a mm. if that makes sense yeah um so it's because group a sucks ross <laughs> yeah group a oh wait group b <laughs> Groupie, groupie. I mean, yeah, so, uh, and I don't know, I think, I think the point of that is just, yeah, that we all do that, and it's not, I mean, it's probably like an evolutionary, like, from evolution, right? It's probably like, yeah, people in a certain sense had to do that to survive. You had to band together, so you had to look out more for people in your group. Like, it just makes sense, um, but it's, it's hardwired into us, I guess, in a way, so, Again, even if at like, I think the atomized view is definitely more impactful, right? If something happens to me or someone I know, but then I think you kind of have that on top of it is this idea that, yeah, I mean, right. Native Americans don't really, I mean, like look at a map of the U S right. They don't have it anymore. So, um, I think at the, at the tribalism level that kind of like described combined with the atomized level, like they had pretty legitimate re and the fact that they just had legitimate reason to be ticked off. Um, like I don't want to discredit red jacket at all. I totally understand with what he's saying. Um, and what, Oh, sometimes a lot of modern day people, you know, look back and speak negatively about it. But then the other point was like to not, I think Mike referenced it, but you also can't, all of that's being true you can't oversimplify it either so it wasn't just oh these white people came and took everything from these peaceful people like that also isn't the true story and i think somebody maybe matt put it in the um in the notes but right the idea of one culture kind of taking over another culture i mean this isn't like the only time this has happened in history um it's happened lots of lots of lots of times um and again, not justifying it um, at, by any means, but this isn't like a unique thing. Um, so 
I guess the reason I kind of brought it up was kind of think it kind of segued well into something else we talked about was the kind of cultures colliding and one taking over another is kind of um, like we talked in the notes a lot about uh, the Spanish interacting with the Aztecs. So I think that you can't just look at, oh, Europeans took over natives because it was like how it played out in North America may have been very different how it played out in, I guess, Mexico is part of North America. But how it played out in the northeast of modern-day U.S. may have been very different from um, from Mexico. And just, I think sometimes we oversimplify it and lump it all together, I guess is what I'm trying mm-hmm. to say. Mm-hmm. Speaking of complexities, this might be a good segue to sort of break loose a little bit, get in, get in some of the details here regarding... Um, Going back in time, get our 1.21 gigawatts fired up in our DeLorean. <laughs> Cortez. If the- we were like a, if we were a TV show, this is where we'd like have some like cool pow thing and it would <laughs> pop on the screen and the kids would love it. Yeah. So Cortez and the Aztecs. Sort of a major uh, milestone there regarding Europeans and the West, specifically Mexico. Um, I, did, as I, I did a little bit of research on Cortez and Our Lady of Guadalupe. Um, a little bit of fun backstory on Our Lady of Guadalupe. In my particular family, she holds um, particular significance. Um Okay, one step further back. Remember Our Lady of Guadalupe? Um, Christians, mostly Catholics probably, claim that she <laughs> appeared to a young man named Juan Diego in 1521-ish, uh, uh, somewhere in there. Yeah, can't find my notes quick on that one. 1521-ish. And she appeared to him a few times, and she asked him to build a church on the particular spot where um, he was jumping to and fro. Um, he was a Native American from not the Aztecs, sort of like sort of like a suburb of the Aztecs. Um, I have the name written down here. Chichimecas. He was from the Chichimeca suburb of the Aztecs. Actually a monotheist. His tribe was monotheist. Uh, But he had become Catholic and he was jogging probably on his way to catechism class. And that's a few times he encountered uh, the Virgin Mary uh, Catholics and some Christians uh, believe. Um, Anyway, built the church. um, Millions of baptisms attributed to this um event okay that's enough now backtracking to cortez 1519 1521 is that what i said 1519 okay complexities like ross was getting at court montezuma okay now from what i read here moctezuma according to a guy named gruberg in a publication published in 2007 when he encountered cortez he invited cortez into his little area his ruling area 
not for hospitality, but to assess their weaknesses. Um, and obviously, Cortez eventually imprisoned Moctezuma. And what ultimately was the downfall of Moctezuma was not simply Cortez and like 20 Spaniards, as the oversimplified story is. But those suburbs of the Aztecs were getting a little bit annoyed by their totalitarianism. And from the source I read, 200,000 indigenous members of surrounding tribes um, tore down, destroyed, rebelled against the Aztecs with Cortez. 200,000 who? indigenous tribal people rebelled against the aztecs alongside cortez Cortez, and that's how the aztec empire fell after standing for 200 years yes it was cortez he did lead the way but it was probably only made possible by these surrounding indigenous tribes yeah yeah Mm -hmm. with which I think that's, um, I mean, we talked, Ross mentioned the, just like the natural ebb and flow of history of like cultures like rising up and cultures like fading away. Um, and I think that's a really unique example of that exact thing. Like this isn't, um, yeah, like the whole colonization um, endeavor or whatever, you know, the, the that whole part of history is certainly not a, yeah, it's not just a purely um, either racial or religious or political, like, oppressive scheme. You know, it's it's this whole, um, just as cultures grow and they grow either stagnant or they grow totalitarian or they grow very soft and squishy and nebulous, like, I mean, this happened with Rome, right? So, like, Rome became this very wealthy affluent decadent society and eventually people kind of took that for granted and then like vandals like team together and sack Rome, right um and like this exact situation happened right so aztecs become oppressive and totalitarian and um some european people rally the troops of all these people who hate the aztecs and, and like they undermine them you know um i think Something similar might happen with the United States sometime in the next hundred years or so. You know, you like shut your on, mouth like, right now. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't know. Just just throwing it out there. Aztecs were around for what two hundred years or so. Like Alexander the Great's empire was around for a lot less than that. You know, probably what fifty years. They didn't have like that. Was it? They didn't and have Wi-Fi. Got, well, that's that's true too. But uh, yeah, I guess all all I'm saying is that there's. Um, yeah, this like this is a very, I guess maybe to counter a lot of the animization talk and like the local like individual experience thing. Like there are a lot of big picture things at play here too, um, and I think that's actually something that that comes up pretty well in Red Jacket's speech. Is that like there's a lot of big picture points he makes. Like it's not just like Europeans have been terrible to us. Like they're jerks. Um, he makes a lot of philosophical points about like, I mean, may, dare I say like relativism, you know, like maybe this is like the first expression of that, like, 
oh, God says this to you. And like, why mm. can't we have our own yeah. truth? You know, like who's, you know, like why does, why do we need, why is there only one truth? Right. Um, and then kind of throws it in the Christian's faces. Like you guys interpret the Bible different. If you guys interpret the Bible different, why can't we do our own thing different? You know? Um, so I think there's a lot of philosophical kind of big picture points too. So I guess, yeah, maybe deviating, like the atomization part's important, but like big picture stuff like matters too. Um, yeah, and I think his speech gets to that. And I think like this situation with the Aztecs kind of speaks to that as well. That like, yeah, there's a lot of atomization, like, oh, Aztecs suck. They're, you know, jerks, you know, and all this, you know, Aztec suburb people, if you want to, you know, as you put them. <laughs> but then, yeah, there's the big picture, like, cultures grow and they age and they grow stale sometimes um and like there's certain aspects of culture that might prevail um and i think maybe christianity is an evidence of that just as christianity kind of outlived rome christianity outlived um various european empires that kind of grew and grew and faded um there's certain parts that prevail but go ahead ross sorry i think a fun little game so like to kind of talk about some of the different things we've mentioned like um kind of the the idea that like you said this is it's not a a new thing but i think like we've kind of alluded to like you can't lump all of these different situations together either so i think we would all have a hard time here i'll put it this way so to play like a game uh, like a mind game i guess i think we would all have a hard time justifying most or a lot of the things that happened to the natives in North America and and the modern day U.S. I'll put it that way. Not in North America, the modern day U.S. Um, They were abused, cheated, steal, stuff was taken from them. Like I said, I think we'd have a hard time. Yeah, not to say that nothing good came from Europeans come came to the United States, but um, I think we'd have a hard time justifying a lot of the things that happened. Um, So in that case, like you said, I think when, kind of like Mike's opening point, like, man, a lot of the points he makes, like liberals, a lot of times they're still making today. And a lot of, in, in some ways, I think that gives a lot of strength to their argument. But to kind of not throw everything in one basket, thinking of what well, we've talked about the Aztecs. Um, I mean, the reason, a, a big part of the reason wasn't that the suburbs, if you will, of the Aztec empire weren't happy with them wasn't because they were getting taxed too much it's because they were taking them as slaves and sacrificing them by literally ripping their hearts out so like and again like modern a lot of people probably don't like it that i said that but like that's just what happened so i think like a a fun little game is like in some ways there is so much credence and appropriateness to the modern kind of sensibilities to Native Americans because of how they were poorly treated in modern-day U.S., you know? But to kind of jump from that, I mean, my game here, like, what if we encountered an island in the south somewhere, in an ocean, I shouldn't have said the south, somewhere in the ocean, some ocean, where people were doing that? Like, we came, and it's like, oh, there's this tribe of people, and they just, anyone that's, really anyone that they want, they'll just take against their will and sacrifice them by ripping their heart like just right there even if the person is you know not wanting it to happen to them like would there be justification to being like if we have the ability to do so saying like you cannot do that anymore and 
again, not that that's, I mean, I'm not trying to defend Cortez either, because I know he wasn't perfect by any means, but I think that question is just a, I don't know, I think it touches a little bit on our Malala episode that was lost, lost to time, and mm. still available to uh, gold memberships uh, only. How many gold members do we have, guys? <laughs> We're at... We can't share that. You're right. That's yeah. that's confidential information. What am I saying? <clears throat> um, you know, to to comment somewhat on point. Yeah, I think we have a little bit of insight to Ross's point there. Um, regarding, yeah, in this thought thought experiment, more thought experiment than game, you barbarian. You know, <laughs> in the most, yeah, I think you've. Ben well using the most extreme possible example where you are murdering fully sentient adults um, but you're just you're calling it um, um, calling it sacrifice right how would the modern world respond to that to how far would the um the tolerance of the West be pushed. I think we get a little bit of insight here on just a little bit of the blurbs I get when I Google human sacrifices. Oh, not of Cortez, of the Aztecs, although that still got me stuff. Um, <laughs> human sacrifice. Why the Aztecs practice this gory ritual. Um... Aztec human sacrifice, primitive fanaticism, or genius of dot dot dot. Um, Aztec human sacrifice was a bloody, fascinating mess. All right. So again, these are just some of the headlines for the first page of search results that come up from Google. Right. Um, the point that I'm like trying to get at with that like uh, test there is that. You just, yeah, primitive fanaticism or genius of, like, they're saying it right there that there's apparently something to these sacrifices other than pure evil. There's some sort of excuse that's being made there. You know, not to say that there's not actual, like, psychological mechanics at play, but, man, there is something to be said for <laughs> not... Um, not feeding the pig. That's just a phrase I just made up, but you get the idea of where, where I'm coming from. <laughs> yeah, and I think just, I don't know, broadly speaking, like the comparison, you know, I, I think, I at least my experience, we were just taught so much about like the Aztecs and Incas and Mayans, like in our schooling, um, almost probably at least as much as Native American. So it serves as like a good reference point for all of the different ways this um, cultural explosion happened. Um, and we don't have like every circumstance or thing weighed out, but it's it's a good hypothesis in terms of like if we encountered a remote island you know those are still out there like there's a couple off the coast of india that are pretty wild if you google that have they're like off guards by the indian 
um, government and I think one of there was a Christian missionary who tried to go to it even just like a couple years ago and as soon as someone steps foot on it the tribe on this island like slaughters them immediately and he died this was like in the last five years I think um, even to the point of you know at church and through a few programs I've heard about missionaries who go to pretty remote parts of the Southeast, Southeast Asia or, or Africa. And it's not nobody, I don't think human sacrifice, that's rape and some not great things on weekends in tribes is like a part of the culture. And yeah, the ability to, or just to try to overcome the evils of, you know, either evolution or sin or humanity. Um, it's still very much out there, and it's not even in Native tribes. We did quite a bit ourselves in Western culture to slaughter each other in the 1940s. So, um, To step back, I think, like, part of why my game took is because, like Mike, you said, like, you know, well, we created the most extreme example and like hypothetical, but it's like, actually, I just stated what happened. Like, I mean, like people came to a huge island where people were sacrificed people against their will. Um, so it's like, I just think it's an interesting, like not trap, but just like to kind of, I guess, hit home the complexities of it. Like most people would say, I think like, hey, if you were, if you just encountered some random island and everyone was just, you know taking people against their will and ripping their hearts out like would you try to stop them i think most people would say yeah like i would go in there and yeah i mean try to stop them um so and again not that that's all the reasons to kind of talk about the complexities that's obviously not the only reason the spanish were there right they were there for lots of reasons some of them less noble but um the reason i had actually had an argument with someone once that said that we shouldn't have done that like not we shouldn't the like the west should have just let the aztecs keep doing it um, simply because like, you know, don't tell me what to believe. Um, and to me, that was just like such a shocking, like that someone would actually think that. I know, I know that Matt's ready for bed here, but, um, <laughs> and Landon, but it, it, again, another thought experiment here based upon what Ross just said is like any moral, uh, moral framework, when pushed to the logical extreme uh, can sound crazy. But, okay, so Ross just presented this example of some guy. Who is this guy? You know him? Is it Matt? (laughs) No names shall be said. I did have this discussion with a human being. Who is the guy? Um... Said that names will be spilled in the extra <laughs> yeah, so it was mad. It was mad. <laughs> <laughs> for the subscription. Um, okay, the, if we had found the Aztecs, it would have been more morally upright. Found the Aztecs sacrificing humans, then it would have been morally upright to just let them do the thing because all cultures are morally equal. Okay, so obviously that sounds crazy. Um, to put it really simply. And blandly you know that's the most extreme 
expression of tolerance. Okay, but we often use um, as the, okay, here's one might say the most extreme counterexample of moral objectivity with respect to the dignity of persons. Um, you know, the story of St. Gianna, right, where she was pregnant with her child, and she, um, it wasn't, it wasn't cancer, she had, oh, I remember, a rectovaginal fistula is what she had, and she refused treatment for it because she knew that it would, it wasn't even like for sure, it would just potentially um, endanger the life of her child. But she knew that if she carried her child to term, it was a girl, I'm pretty sure. Um, she knew if she carried her child to term, then the baby would be fine, but she might not survive. And uh, St. Gianna did pass away because of this fistula, but the child did survive. And actually, she became a doctor, I'm pretty sure, like her mom. Um, right, so that that is the sort of opposite extreme of moral code abiding in a particular um, objective sort of dimension to it. One might argue, I am going to argue, that maybe I'm just biased, but man, isn't there, if you have to choose one, which one can argue, I think the people should feel a certain obligation to, rather than waiting out lost in the middle, if you have to choose one of those to ultimately inform and sort of percolate to all these different nuances of life, isn't the story of St. Gianna far more admirable and far more moving than the individual who finds the Aztecs making human sacrifices saying, huh, you know, live and let live, right? So... That, that's my uh, second last thought to uh, leave us off with. Landon, do you have a closing thought? Anything you want us to uh, ponder and leave the audience with? So, first question. Reading Red Jacket's speech, if you traded out words like great spirit for holy spirit and white man for some other tribe, if you like just change the vocabulary a little bit, is Red Jacket's speech theologically heretical or not? Question two, just general thoughts, your final thought, summary, um, just closing words. Question three, what about the Hittites? <laughs> you can choose which no one, one you'd cares. like to answer. <laughs> no one cares. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, that's all I have to say. What about the Hittites? <laughs> yep. <laughs> that's it. That's, that's the whole question. Man, okay, some critical analysis, really thinking critically about it. I feel like Hittites. Mike wants to answer the Hittite question. <laughs> well, 
only if I can think it he's got, through. He's got some hot takes on the Hittites. <laughs> that question is going to keep Mike up all night. What about? <laughs> what did he mean? What did he mean? <laughs> what about the Hittites? Where are they now? Well, I'll answer the first question you posed, which I think is really good. I'm really glad you asked that question. So, like, if you were to kind of reverse the verbiage, um, is Red Jacket still correct? Um, I would argue no. And I would say the main point um, is he seems to basically devolve into a relativist argument. Um, which is why can't we all be why can't we all be right? Why can't there be multiple things that are the true way to worship? Um, which I think maybe there's more nuance to it than he says. Like I think there's certainly different. I mean, even amongst people who profess a a very unified outlined faith, like Catholicism, right, is pretty well. There's a lot of doctrine that's pretty well. Um, formulated very like there's a kind of a, a creed to it right a very well-defined religion like there's still a lot of ways that even catholics might worship some might be very charismatic others might um be very um like regimented traditional right other whatever there's, there's a variety of ways you can learn and know but um but he's talking about it i think in a much larger scale right like can't there be multiple truths to some degree about god um, and I would say there certainly can't like something that, when to some degree, like these religions are going to conflict about what they teach about God. And I think a lot of what he says is true about, um, the great spirit or God or the Holy spirit, whatever you want, like whatever your, your title is. Um, yeah, like there are a lot of things that you should, he should, you know, if you're following him correctly, you should be honest and less disposed to cheat Indians, as he puts it, right? Like, you should be, um, yeah, like, you should kind of practice those things. Um, but at the same time, like, um, if the God, if the Great Spirit, like, asks you to perform human sacrifice, which not Red Jacket's tribe didn't, but, like, other tribes did, um, if the Great Spirit, like, asks you to worship nature to some degree, right? Or to worship nature above, like, the God who's outside of nature who, and who created nature. Like, all right, that's not right either. Um, and, like, how you, what you know about God and what you believe God to be changes how you live, right? It's not just, like, an abstract thing. Um, that does change what you do and how you act and, and how, uh, yeah, how you, you really live your life. So, um yeah, I guess I think he's still wrong, um, but uh, even if you were to kind of flip around the verbiage and stuff, but I really like that question, though. Micah Ross, take a stab at any one of those three. Three? I thought there was just There's two three questions. questions. <laughs> <The third question. laughs> or just open and forgot you about the Hittites. You could just say a final thought if you had another point you wanted to expand on. You forgot about the Hittites, didn't you? Or, Mike? or what about the Hittites? Who is John Galt? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad I think, you I think it that could be a, like 
when you're in a when you're in a debate about it, it's just like just <laughs> yeah. throw it out and like, well, like well, what genius. about the Hittites? <laughs> I'll try to answer all of the above and do it in two minutes or less. Um, the first question, I would tech technically, I think I would agree with Matt that he's wrong. Um, and some of the ways to change it a little bit to not say the exact same thing Matt did, um, like I think there's there is an element to truth in what he's saying. And there's an element to truth within the Native American religions, even from a Catholic Christian perspective. So, um, and I think he says it, you know, at, at some point at the end, I don't know if you read it, he talks about, um, uh, I don't remember if he talks about love or mercy or something, I'm not sure. So it kind of reminds me of like, um, and St. Paul's talking in the scriptures and the Bible uh, I forget who he's speaking to directly or which um, letter it's in, but he kind of encounters this group, and right there's the the unknown God that they're worshiping, and he's like, see, even you guys are worshiping God. Um, so in some ways, it's like they're trying their best they just to worship God, but they might not have everything right. But um, yeah, I, I think the relativism point that he hits on is like, but so it's not necessarily that like you're all wrong, but that doesn't mean that we like just just because there's some truth in it doesn't necessarily mean that um, the rest of the truth doesn't matter, and we should just stop there. Um, what about the Hittites? Oh gosh, um, what about them? They're gone. <laughs> That's what's about them. They're gone. They ain't here no more. Um, and final thoughts. Um, I think Red Jacket does call out some of the people for some really legit things. So I think that's a good thing. Um, uh, just, yeah, to call out bad things when you see it. So I think that in the, those ways he did a good job. I think that everyone has an opinion about two things in life. Country music and religion. And... I think that my most p powerful takeaway from this episode was Matt's wonderful dichotomy of the idea of the bird's eye view and the atomized perspective. And it's like, I think that thinking back a little bit to my youth I think that we, when we're young especially, with respect towards religion, and other things too, I think if you think hard enough, but maybe especially religion, we we tend to conflate the value or the, the utility of the bird's eye view, right? In the sense of the like doctrine of the thing, the sort of like theological integrity of it. It's just like, oh, gosh, man, if only people understood the, uh, the, the, how, how Jesus uses the word, the, uh, <laughs> the, the Greek word for gnaw with respect to the Eucharist, like, oh my gosh, people would just get it, right? Um, you know, or, or this or that other sort of theological tidbit right we we tend to sort of lean into like that bird's eye view sort of perspective towards theology 
because in a sense it's easier because it's like oh gosh here i'm just gonna give red metaphorical red jacket in my life this nice little catholic or christian encyclopedia of all of these like hidden secrets and uh they'll they'll read that and they'll get it they'll get it with a capital i and they'll uh go on uh making disciples of all nations but that's obviously not really how things work um what really affects people is the atomized interaction that person-on-person interaction and you see it in the exact same way with christ like right where christ didn't come and establish a youtube channel he just came as himself and i think that there's a lot to be said for a critical analysis of oneself every single day of you know when are we going to encounter that red jacket in our lives someone who is clearly open to the truth right like he's a very very thoughtful person you know he sort of comments on some very interesting and legitimate things and clearly is is open to like changing his perspective he's like yeah we got some missionaries coming you know maybe they'll change their mind right um so who are those red jackets in our lives whom we need to be the absolute best for even when even when we don't feel like it right um so that's sort of my 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 final final thoughts there Hmm. i wish i'd finished that thought a little bit better but i think 90 percent of that was all right i think it was great and i'm i think we should finish there who are the red jackets in Mm. our life um just history is fascinating. I think we found uh, some interesting dialogue in Red Jacket's speech on Christian evangelism in early America. And that's the great speech. Ruben, lead us to a better place. Ruben, lead us to a better place.